is a packed house. Like, this is great. It is so good to see all of you. And parents, if you feel like it's been a crazy morning, um, I was, I can relate. I was just moving chairs around, getting chairs out, running around, and I realized I don't know where my Bible or my sermon notes are. And so I'm like scrambling, trying to find them. Went back, I just said, I got to reprint them. I said, print them, found a Bible, and we're good to go. So we're all set, all right? So we're all, we're all just figuring it out as we go today. But so good to have you with us. Kids, do we have any kids here? Make some noise, kids. Come on now. Yes. It's so good to have you with us. Thank you, Katie, for leading us in some worship. Kids, we're glad you're here. Hopefully you got some activity bags or some coloring sheets on your way in. I think we still have a few more uh, uh, coloring sheets and sermon notes in the back. Older kids, do you have any of those sermon notes, those kids' sermon notes? Any of you older kids? Hold them up if you have them. Cool. <laughs> Good job. Those are the actual sermon notes. Those are the adult sermon notes. How about the older kids' sermon notes? Anybody get one of those in the blue bag? Yeah, hold those up. There you go. So those, as you guys know, we've done this before, but if you follow along, with the message today that we're going to be seeing from 2 Timothy, and bring your notes back next week to your class, you'll get something special from your teacher, okay? So a little encouragement to listen along and to learn today as we study God's word together. Uh, before we jump into 2 Timothy, one quick announcement. In two Sundays, we have a really special Sunday as well. August 13th, we're going to have a member meeting here at 430 um, so if you're a Redemption member or planning to become a member, we want to invite you to that meeting from 4.30 to 5.30. Right after that, we're going to have everyone bring a picnic dinner and come downtown. Join us in downtown at the Foundry on 4th Street for worship at the Foundry. And this is an event that our own Mickey Newfer is putting together. It's going to be fantastic to gather churches from our community to worship together, to pray together. We want to be present in our community. We want to be sharing uh, the reason for the hope that we have in us, the gospel. And so this is an opportunity for us to do that. And so make sure you come on the 13th, member meeting, Faith at the Foundry. And Mickey is going to be in the back. Mickey, can you wave your hand? That's Mickey. She's going to have some, uh, some information in the back on your way out, some business cards with some information on Faith at the Foundry as you head out today. Uh, but today, as I said, we're continuing in our study in the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, Greg kicked us off last week, did a great job. If you didn't hear his introductory message, go back and listen to that on our website. Um, but we are seeing what it looks like to continue to run, to endure, to invest in ourselves as we invest in others for the kingdom. And you might have noticed, but, but already in 2 Timothy, we've gotten lots of metaphors, right? We have lots of metaphors. Paul has talked about fanning the flame. He's going to talk about being a good soldier, being a farmer that, that, that grows uh, uh, fruit for the Lord, for Jesus. And one of my favorites and, and, and my most identifiable metaphor of this book is the idea of running a race, right? And, and so we've got a picture up here. This is not me, by the way. A couple of people have asked, so that, that sort of looks like me. That's not me, just a stock photo. Uh, but I do enjoy running. And uh, it's something that I've tried to get into more and more and, and try to get out there as much as I can to run. I know we've got some runners, some great runners here in this church. And as I've run more and more through the years, I've realized something. That even though I enjoy it, it's actually not very much fun, right? Like running is actually not fun. And most days I don't feel like doing it. In fact, growing up as a kid, you know, you play team sports and things like that, and, and running is a punishment. 
right? It's like what you do if you screw up or you lose the game. You have to run, right? Why would anyone choose to run uh, for pleasure, right? But over the years, I've realized I, I really do enjoy running. And, and I think what you learn as you run, and I'm sure it's the same for cycling and hiking and other things, I think what you learn is that there's a purpose in the pain, right? The fact that it's difficult, the fact that it's a struggle is kind of the whole point. It's what gets you out there to continue to press forward. In fact, if running was really easy, if you could just fall off your couch and run a 10K, right, we would all do it, right? We would all be runners. And, and in a lot of ways, I think running would lose its value. It would lose its appeal. And I think that's because if something doesn't cost you, it really has no value. If something doesn't cost you, it really has no value. And I've been thinking about that a lot as we begin this study in 2 Timothy. This idea that, that as we press through what's hard, what's difficult, as we endure, that's where we really grow. That's where we become stronger. And this really is the theme of this book. This letter from the Apostle Paul to his protege, his disciple Timothy, this young pastor at the church in Ephesus. And he's telling Timothy, press on, continue, run your race with endurance. It's worth it, even though it's difficult. This is the encouragement that Timothy needs, and I think it's an encouragement that we need as well this morning. And so that's what we're going to be seeing this morning in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 18. And this is the main idea of our text today, that the gospel moves us to embrace suffering and to stay the course. The gospel moves us to embrace suffering and to stay the course. So again, 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 18, if you have your Bibles open, we'll have it up here on the screen. And if you're the highlighting type, we've kind of started this uh, the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've got uh, some commands, some encouragements, some relationships that we'll see, and some mission in today's text. So as we read through it, you'll see kind of what, have I, what I've highlighted and you can highlight that as well as we uh, study the text together. But let's read our text this morning, 2 Timothy 1, starting in verse 8. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Among them are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, 
for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. All right, that's our text today. And and the first thing we see, the first call from Paul that we see here is to embrace what's difficult. To embrace what's difficult. Paul begins in verse 8 saying, therefore, right, which tells us this is connected to what he said before. And we saw last week Paul reminding Timothy of the gift that he's received. This faith in the gospel that he's received has been passed down from his grandmother to his mother and now to him. And, and, and through Paul and his discipleship, Paul wants Timothy to rekindle that flame, that gift that he's received, to continue on with the power, with, with the power of the Lord, not with a sense of fear. And so it's in light of that that Paul says what he does to Timothy here. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Why would Paul say this to Timothy? Why would he say, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, of Paul himself? I think it's reasonable to assume that Timothy was struggling, or at least Paul had the concern that Timothy might struggle to feel ashamed of the gospel to feel ashamed of the message that he believed and was to preach. And not just the message, but, but perhaps shame over the messenger, Paul himself. And I think if we think about what's taking place in this moment, this might make more sense to us, right? First of all, the testimony that Timothy has received, the one that he's preaching, the message he's received is one about a crucified Savior. Right, this is still a very new and very, uh, very controversial movement that's happening, following this Jesus. And now, maybe the greatest and most famous missionary and evangelist for this movement, Paul, is in prison. He's in Rome. He's awaiting what ultimately will be a death sentence. None of this looks like success. None of this looks like something to be celebrated, Right? This message is not something that people are going to readily receive, at least not most people. And I can relate to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor here. I'm not all that young anymore, but I've been a pastor for about five years and have served here with Redemption since the beginning in in 2015. And I can relate to this idea that you want to be successful, right? You want to do great things for the kingdom, you want, you want people to receive the message that you have to share. I can understand the temptation to want to be ashamed or to shy away from what's difficult about God's word, about the message of the gospel. But Timothy here is reminded by Paul that this is not his calling. It's not his calling to be successful or celebrated or loved by the world or even by fellow Christians. That's not his calling. Instead, Paul tells Timothy his call is to share in suffering for the gospel. To share in suffering for the gospel. Paul connects Timothy's role as a pastor to directly, directly to suffering. Suffering is connected to his calling, to his ministry. 
And this idea of sharing in suffering is not something we just see here in 2 Timothy. Paul comes back to this idea multiple times in his New Testament letters, and he makes it clear that it's not just for the pastors and preachers, but it's for all of us. Here's what he says in Philippians 3. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Because becoming like him in his death. Here's what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, our hope for you, the church in Corinth, is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Again and again, Paul tells us in the New Testament that we are connected to Christ and to one another through suffering, through the trials that we go through for the gospel. When we lay our lives down, when we lay down our desires, our wants, even our own comfort or safety for the sake of the gospel, what Christ is calling us to do, that's where we suffer for the gospel. So I think the question this morning for all of us is, is where do you need to not be ashamed of the gospel, but instead embrace suffering, to embrace suffering as you follow Jesus, to not shy away from it or be ashamed of it, but to move toward it, to embrace it. This is what it looks like to embrace what's difficult. And Paul says, we do this by the power of God. Paul doesn't say that that we can do this in our own strength, but it's by God's power that we endure suffering, that we share in suffering. I love what David Guzik says about this. He says, the power of God is always there, but it's not always there to remove the difficulty. Sometimes it's there to see us through the difficulty. And I would maybe amend David's quote there to say, oftentimes, most of the time, God's power is not there to simply remove the difficulty in our lives. He can and he does. But more often, I think he is there to be with us through it, to teach us, to grow us through it. This is what it looks like to embrace what's difficult. The second call that we see from Paul here in this text is to remember what God has done for you. Paul wants Timothy to remember the reasons why he should share in suffering, why it's worth it. And so he goes on what we saw so often in Colossians, the book that we just studied, this kind of epic explanation of of who Christ is and what he has accomplished. Verse 9, he says that, that Christ has saved us. He has saved us. He's called us to a holy calling. He tells Timothy that his calling comes from heaven. It is a holy calling. He says it's not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan and a calling for Timothy. And we know that scripture teaches us that that's true for all of us. Kids, are you guys still with me? Okay, fantastic. Raise your hand if you're still with me, kids. Fantastic. I should do this with the adults later, too. So I want you guys to know, you kids, that the Bible says that before God made the heavens and the earth, 
Before the events of Genesis chapter 1, God had a plan for your life. He had a plan for you, a specific story written out for your life. He has a purpose for each one of you. And adults, that's true for you too. Sometimes we can forget that. I love what Pastor Greg shared last week about this idea of in heaven, there's like this list of good work after good work, and each of them have someone's name next to it. Your name next to this good work that God has called you to before the foundations of the earth. This is what he wants Timothy to remember. And in verse 10, he says, these purposes have now been made manifest. They've been made clear through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. And what has Jesus done? He has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Immortality, life forever with Jesus. Why does Paul not fear death? Because Jesus has abolished it. Because he knows that death will simply bring him to a greater place, a much greater place, immortality, life in heaven for eternity. This is the gospel, as we see in verse 11, that motivates Paul. It's why he says he's been appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. And it's why he says, I suffer as I do. Paul is willing to suffer for the sake of what Jesus has done. Because it so greatly outweighs the cost. The value is so much greater than any cost. I mean, what suffering in this life can really compare with immortality, with life forever. If that's our hope, if that's our reality, if that's where we're headed, then nothing in this life compares to the glory that awaits us. That's what Timothy needs to remember here in his calling. Paul is not only willing to suffer, he's embracing it. Verse 12, he says he's not ashamed of this message or this calling. Why? Because he is so convinced he believes so clearly that this is true and that God is able to guard until that day, until his dying day, what has been entrusted to him. This message he's been given, he has confidence that God will guard it, that he will use him until his dying day. This reminds me of a question from The Truth Project. Did anybody ever watch The Truth Project? Go through that. It's kind of a, an apologetics. Yeah, all right, Ashley, Dan, and bring. Um, apologetics, worldview type thing. It's really helpful, and it was really popular back in college. And um, I went through that series at a, a church in Fort Collins, and the question that they would continue to ask in that series was, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? I put it up here because it's kind of confusing, right, to say out loud. Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? And that question just kept coming to my mind this week, thinking about this, this letter from Paul to Timothy and what he's reminding Timothy of. It's like, do you really believe it, Timothy? Do we really believe it, that these things are true, that Jesus has abolished death, that we have immortality, life through him? That God really had a purpose for everything in our lives, even the most difficult things, before he even created the earth. He had a plan, and it was good. It was perfect. If we really believe that, that changes everything about our lives. It changes our willingness 
to suffer, to go through what's difficult, because it's so clearly worth it. The benefit, the, the, the hope that we have so greatly outweighs the cost. Here's the third thing that we see in our text this morning. Paul calls Timothy to hold fast to what has been invested in him. Hold fast to what's been invested in you. Let's reread again verses 13 and 14. Paul says, Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Follow the pattern, Paul says. Another way to say this is to hold fast, to stick to the words that he has learned. And what are those words? What what has Paul passed on to Timothy? It's the truth of the gospel. It's the truth of God's word. Paul wants Timothy to remember and follow the pattern of those sound words. This is the good deposit that has been entrusted to Paul and now to Timothy. That's a good deposit, as we saw last week, that was passed down from Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, the investment you're making in your kids has eternal impact. Timothy is an example of someone who was invested in faithfully by his grandmother and his mother. And now God is using him as a pastor in the early church. Never underestimate what what the investment of the gospel can mean in your kids' lives and others' lives. In fact, this precious message for Paul was the greatest investment that could be made in a person's life. So much so that Paul wants Timothy to hold it closely, to guard it, as he continues on, staying on course. And this brings to mind for me another kind of running, football. Who likes football in here? Any kids ever played football? Who's played football? Okay, there's like some small children raising their hands, so hopefully that wasn't like tackle. Flag football, right? Yeah, definitely flag football. But, uh, yeah, football it, Football season's coming, right? We love watching football. And, and you think about a running back in football, right? The quarterback gets the snap. Unless it's the Broncos, we probably already fumbled the snap. We probably had like three penalties before fumbling the snap, but that's okay. But, you know, <laughs> hey, I mean, I just got to be honest here, right? I got to be honest. It's going to be different. It's going to be better this year for the Broncos. But the quarterback gets the snap, right? He hands it off to the running back. The running back begins to run, right? Probably forward. That's the goal, right? Runs to the line of scrimmage and then pass. But, but what happens? Does he get to just run all the way to the end zone untouched? What happens? The defenders come at him, right? They come after him. There, there's people trying to attack him and the thing that he's carrying, Right? In fact, it would be foolish for the running back to start his run and think, ah, nobody's going to touch me, right? Nobody's going to come after me. I'm just going to be able to cruise on down to the end zone. And and then he holds the ball loosely, right, and kind of just carrying it around like, whatever, I'm fine. I'm just going to take this to the house. That wouldn't work, right? He'd fumble it. The, the, The defense would come, and they'd steal it from him. They'd knock him down. I think this is a great picture of what Paul is calling Timothy to here. See, we have a precious message that has been handed off to us, invested in us. 
And now it's our job to continue to run, to run our race with our eyes towards where God is calling us to. But we've got to guard the good deposit that's been given to us. Because there's forces that will attack us. We can expect it. Let me go forward for just a second. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll see here in a few weeks. But Paul writes this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It doesn't say most people. It doesn't say just the pastors and the preachers. It says all, everyone who desires to live a godly life following Jesus will face persecution. We know that persecution comes in in lots of different forms, and a lot of times we think of external persecution, right, and persecution from the world over the message that we have, the truth of God's word. We certainly see that in our world. And, And maybe we even see more and more attack, even if it's not all out persecution, but we see attack and opposition to the message we have in our culture today, right? Maybe you feel that in your personal life, but we also need to be aware of a spiritual attack. Paul writes often of the spiritual battle that's taking place. There is an enemy, Satan, who wants nothing more than to knock you off your feet, to knock you off course. Because the last thing he wants is for you to guard that good deposit and to pass it on to someone else. That's the calling that we've been given. That's the calling Timothy's been given. And and Paul says, hold fast. Remember what you've learned. Stay on course. Guard the good deposit. That's the calling for Timothy, and it's the calling for us. And how do we do this? We do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see in verse 14, it's, again, it's God's power enabling us, empowering us to do this. We need to hold fast to what is true. And again, I, I was thinking about running, and, and a few weeks ago, I know I've shared the story with a few of you. If you came to one of our marriage retreats or have just been talking to me lately, I probably shared this story. But I had this realization literally just like maybe a month ago. And some of you runners are going to be like, you just figured this out, right? Um, but I was running one morning, and it was one of those mornings that was just a slog. Like, it was just hard. I didn't want to get up. I didn't fall out of my bed and just start running that day. Um, it was difficult to get out there. And, and I was kind of running. I was maybe like a mile into it. I was running um, through a neighborhood that's just to the north of where we live, and it's a newer neighborhood. And so you kind of come to the end of it on the west edge, and there's just, it just opens up. There's just nothing out there, northwest Loveland. And I was just struggling and like, man, maybe I'll just go home like, mile sounds good, right? Like, let's just, let's just, like, go get donuts or something, right? But as I, as I passed that corner and things opened up, I just, I just saw this beautiful view of the mountains, right? And the sun, the morning sun was shining on the foothills. And I just was, like, in awe and just, like, looking at God's creation and, and talking to God and saying, thank you, Lord. Like, this is incredible, And I was just in awe. I was in worship over his creation and who he is. And I was just enjoying the view and thinking about, you know, where I was headed, right? And I I realized all of a sudden I'd probably been running for about a half a mile without even thinking about it. Like I'd forgotten I was running. I'd forgotten about the pain. 
It was still there. Like, it didn't go away, right? But I realized I've got to keep my head up when I run, right? So often I'm, I'm like, looking in front of me, right? Maybe I'm afraid I'm going to trip and fall or something, but I, I'm, my, my, my head is down on the path, on my circumstance, on where I am and not where I'm going. My eyes aren't on where God is leading me. And, and I realize this is so true for life for our spiritual life, how often we get focused on where we are and what's happening right in front of us. We need to put our eyes up. We need to look towards Jesus. We need to remember who he is and what he has done because that gives us the strength we need to keep running. That gives us strength to keep moving forward, to remember that it's worth it. That's how God gives us strength for what's difficult. In conclusion, in verses 15 to 18 here in our text, we see Paul give some practical, real-world examples of faithlessness and faithfulness. He wants to bring to mind for Timothy some real examples. How does this, how does this play itself out? What does this actually look like? And so he brings some names up that Timothy likely would have known very well. He says in verse 15, he says, You, Timothy, are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. We don't know a lot about these people. This is the only place where these two characters are are mentioned in the Bible. Not a good way to show up in the Bible, right? This is the one place you're mentioned as those who abandoned Paul, who turned away from Paul. But it's clear that they did not endure. They did not run their race well. They did not hold fast. They didn't guard the good deposit. And perhaps that was because they were ashamed. Maybe they were ashamed of Paul's chains, his imprisonment in Rome. And I say that because then look at what Paul writes about Onesiphorus, verse 16. He says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed Of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched earnestly for me and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Onesiphorus was a different sort of man. He was a different person than Phygelus and Hermogenes. He was faithful to Paul in difficult circumstances. Paul says Onesiphorus was not ashamed of his chains. He wasn't ashamed of his imprisonment. Instead, he searches earnestly for Paul. He finds him. This is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to embrace suffering. There was likely great cost or or potential cost for Onesiphorus to go and try to find Paul and associate himself with this man on death row. And yet he moves towards him. He embraces him. And God uses him to refresh and bless Paul. I think the question this morning before all of us is the question that Paul is putting before Timothy. Who are you going to be? Who are you going to be? Are you going to be like Phygelus and Hermogenes that turn away when it gets hard? Ashamed of what's difficult about following Jesus. Ashamed of what's difficult about the truth of his word. This message that has been given to us. Or... 
Are you willing to move toward suffering, to embrace it, to hold fast to what's been invested in you, to then invest it in others, even when it's difficult? Because something happens when we suffer. Something happens when we go through hardship for the sake of the gospel. We grow. God teaches us. We realize there's a purpose in the pain. If you feel today like you're just not growing in your faith, you just feel like you're kind of flatlined, things are just kind of dry, just don't feel like you're making a lot of progress, then, then I think the question for you is, when was the last time you embraced suffering for Jesus? When was the last time you were really, really uncomfortable as you followed Jesus? When was the last time you confessed sin to your spouse or to a friend or to a coworker? And you know, yeah, like I, should, I should probably confess that. But that's difficult. That's hard. That's uncomfortable. When was the last time you got up early? Parents, I know how early it is. You wake up so early, like the sun is barely getting up, and then all of a sudden it's like your children know you're awake. Like what's up with that? They just know, and they wake up, right? So you gotta, you got to get up really early to get quiet time. I know it's hard, but when's the last time you did that? Like, I'm going to get up as early as I need to so I can be with Jesus. I can be in the word. I need to keep my eyes up to be able to run this race well. When was the last time you risked rejection or, or judgment or even persecution to share the gospel, to invest the good deposit of the gospel in someone else? That's what we want to call all of us, too, as we go through this series to be praying about who is someone that, that could invest in you? Or is there somebody that you can invest in yourself? Or, or maybe both, right? But think about who that might be. Pray about that because we believe all of us have a calling. All of us have a need to be invested in and to invest in others. It's not easy it's difficult, it's scary sometimes to move towards other people, but if it doesn't cost something, then it has no value. If it doesn't cost something, it has no value. Maybe this morning, all you feel like you're doing is suffering. Maybe life is just hard, parenting is hard, marriage is hard, work is hard. Maybe you're, you're going through sickness or a trial in your life that's just really difficult. I, again, just want to encourage you to, to put your eyes up, to remember what God has done for you, to remember the promise of his word, that he is faithful to be with you in those trials, that he has a plan and a purpose in those trials, a purpose that he has set before the foundations of the earth. Maybe that's the reminder that you need this morning, but either way, our calling is to embrace suffering to embrace suffering for the sake of the gospel, to hold fast to what is true, to what's been invested in us, to invest that in others. It's the greatest race that we can run where we stay faithful to run it with our eyes on Jesus. Worship team, I'm going to invite you guys back up. And we're going to close up service. Kids, you guys are doing great. Parents are doing great. And uh, we're just going to sing one more song as we close today. And as we sing, I just, I want us to think about 
that, that second point today, remembering what God has done for us, right? To remember that God has given us life and hope and salvation through Jesus. And he has promised us immortality in Jesus, life with him forever. And so whatever you're going through, whatever suffering you need to embrace today, it's worth it. It's going to be more than worth it. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for the reminder of your word and this book of 2 Timothy. That we can run the race, we can endure, we can press on with our eyes on you because, because you're with us, you're empowering us. And God, because it's worth it, because of all that you've given us in and through your son, Jesus. God, thank you so much that we get to gather together on a family service and remember that you are our father. That you care deeply for us, that you created us, you gave us life, and you gave us a purpose. Just like Timothy, you gave us a calling from before the foundations of the earth. And so we know that all things in our lives, the good, the bad, the difficult, the beautiful, the painful, all of it works together for good. For those of us who have been called according to your purpose. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Help us to worship you now, to be grateful, to praise you for the hope that we have in you, our good Father. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen.